Good morning. Um, today's text comes from Deuteronomy 5, uh, 15, 7 through 15. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near, so that you do not show ill will towards the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them, and do not do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and every in everything you will put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. If any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you six years, in the seventh year, you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give them, to, give them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. This is why I give you this command today, the word of the Lord. Christine, so if uh, just to answer your questions, it's a second here. There we go. You've probably uh, wondered why this plastic stuff is on the carpet. Well, we are in the process of getting new air conditioning units, which I kind of wish they were working today. It's a little hot in here. But um, we're replacing all four of these and replacing the two downstairs. Um, later because they don't have those yet, but uh, they're in process, but they're not working. So if you notice, there's three that look different. They're new. This one's an old one. So that answers that. The workers are concerned for dirtying our carpet, so they put this down. So hopefully by next Sunday, we'll have some air conditioning, but uh, we'll just bear with it today, right? We'll be hot in the spirit today as we sit here. Yes. Well, we continue our series in this uh, series called The Habits of the Heart, which are to focus on, uh, give us focus on spiritual disciplines, which we're calling habits of the heart. And as followers of Jesus, it's just that we have these habits that the scriptures teach about and encourage us in because these are habits to help us in our everyday life point us to the truth of Jesus Christ. Because if once we get off looking, if we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, and we get off looking at anything else, ourselves, the world, whatever it is, then issues are going to come in our lives. We're going to get off track. We're going to experience all kinds of trouble and even destructive things in our lives. So this is why we're focusing on this Habits of the Heart series, because it's to direct our minds and hearts to be fixed on Jesus as Lord. And these are just practical, everyday things. Last week, for example, we, we talked about fasting. Right? This is simply just uh, the habit of going without food or something else for a period of time to help us better focus and listen to and commune with the Lord Jesus for that period of time and hear his guidance. Today we're going to be looking at the habit of giving. Giving. Uh, our text 
Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 through 15, reveals the heart of God as he gives these instructions to the Israelites, and they're about to enter the land of Canaan. But these are instructions before they even enter that land of Canaan. And you can see his heart as he instructs them on how to treat the poor in their midst and also those who owe them money. And so we'll touch on that a little bit as we look further at that. But the habit of giving points us really to the heart of God and fixes our eyes on Jesus, who is the ultimate giver. And so this habit of giving is to both remind us and also point us to Jesus, and then also it points others to Jesus because he is the giver and the name whom we give. So think of someone right now that you consider very generous, a giving person. Think of someone that comes to mind. Does anyone come to mind like maybe your parents or your grandparents or relatives or friends or fellow students or coworkers or maybe a boss? That would be nice if a boss was really a generous giver. Um, what com- who comes to mind? Well, my grandparents on my mother's side comes to mind when I think of it. Um, they were very generous. Uh, I remember now that most of these memories of them like this are when I was small, but my family would go to Iowa every summer for at least a week or more. And my family, were my relatives, my grandparents, they lived on a farm. Most of my relatives were farmers. And we would go there, and I, what I remember is how giving they were. Because I remember my grandmother, she would always cook these really tasty dishes for us, and then she would always ask us if we wanted more food. I mean, it was kind of oppressive, really, but it was just like she kept asking us again and again. We'd say, no, I'm full, and she'd oh, come on, just have a little more. Come on, you know, and she's just so giving that way. I remember my grandparents would change their schedules uh, for us grandchildren. My grandfather would take me around the farm when he was doing his chores, and I thought it was very interesting, but I knew I was probably in the way because I didn't really know much about farm life. I was a city kid. And, but he seemed to love my companionship. Um, and then broad, more broadly, I, I felt like the whole farming community was so friendly. Like, you know, I'd be just standing on, near the road and somebody drive by and wave at me. You know, I don't know who they are, but they don't know who I am, but they're just being friendly. And then when we were in town, people would walk by and they'd just say, hey, how you doing? I'd be like, wow, hi, you know? And just, I grew up in Massachusetts, never happened in Massachusetts, you know, everybody just keep to themselves, but I was just, it was just, just such a good, warm experience, uh, for example, if we go visit my cousin, and he's out in the field in a tractor doing whatever they do in the field there, he would stop the tractor, turn it off, he'd climb out of his tractor and walk all the way over to where we are, and talk to us for like a good amount of time, and it's not like he's rushed, like looking at his watch, you know, like we do sometimes, but he's just talking to us, shooting the breeze, and eventually he'll be like, ah, I should get back, you know, in the field and finish up. So just, you felt, I have this memory of them being so giving of their time. We were important because of the way they treated us and valued. So I have great warm memories of my relatives and especially my grandparents uh, when I, we visited in Iowa. The people in our lives that we see as very giving tend to shine in our memories, don't they? We think of them warmly. Why is that? Is it just because we receive stuff from them? So we're like, (laughs) you know, I like these people. (laughs) I don't think so. 
I think not. That's probably not the reason, really. I suggest it's because their giving nature is endearing to us. It's enjoyable. It's, and they're so approachable. And so we enjoy being with them. They even inspire us, don't they, to like be more giving? Because we want to be like them in many ways. Now think of Jesus and his life as the ultimate example of giver, the giver as the Lord God himself. You know, John 1.3 describes him as this. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So this means that all we know and all we have has been given to us by the Lord Jesus. Uh, you know, think of the, his time when he was on earth teaching his ministry. People sought him out because of what he was giving out. He was giving out the truth of God. He healed those who were sick and demon-possessed. He even miraculously provided thousands of people on multiple occasions of food. Uh, so that's, that's a nice perk, right? And, and then he gave them insight into God's teachings and commands. He spoke with authority that they hadn't experienced before. He revealed the character of God to them through his words and his actions. Because they didn't know at that point, but he was and is the incarnate God, he, God in flesh. He gave himself. As ultimately, he gave up his life through his death and resurrection. And then he offers eternal life as well. He gives us eternal life through faith in him. Jesus himself is the way and the truth and the life. And this is why when we have the act of giving in our life, we are actually pointing ourselves and others to Jesus. Because we are just following his example, the giver of all good things. So the question for us today who follow Jesus as Lord and Savior is this. Do we have the habit of giving in the name of Jesus? This is key. Not just giving, but giving in the name of Jesus. And would the people that know us think of us as a giving person? Would our parents think of us as giving people? Would our friends think of us as being a giving person? See, through faith in Jesus as Lord, the Spirit of God indwells us and begins his transforming work for us to become like Jesus, the ultimate giver. I mean, he came to give himself as a ransom for all people. So, that's the nature, the heart of God. So when we become transformed more and more to be like Jesus, then we begin to become more and more a giving person and have the habit of giving in our lives, especially to the Lord in service to him and also to the others around us. We are transformed by him to be a blessing to others in his name. And so the habit of giving in the name of Jesus acts both as a reminder of Jesus, the giver, and an act of worship as we point ourselves and others to the giver, Jesus. Think of your life now. Is there evidence of transformation that you are giving to God and others in his name? Rather than maybe looking and thinking of ourselves and what we want and what we think we should get, or maybe focusing on what we don't have. Uh, you know, I don't have that and this and things like that. 
How are we giving of ourselves to others in the name of Jesus? How are we serving in some way? If we are a follower of Jesus, we should be giving not only, we give of everything we have, which is ourselves. So how are we serving? How are we doing something in the name of Jesus? That's part of our giving habit. Many people today serve in their communities that we know, our friends and community, the state senators and people all organized to help the refugees, to help the poor. We have food bank in Franklin Township, food bank of this whole area and for New Jersey. Um, there's a lot of people who do a lot of giving. And they do it for different reasons, but I would propose they do it either to pat themselves on the back, you know, to feel better about themselves, that they're doing something that they think is right and should be done, or they're doing it because they honestly want to help people. But if they're not doing it because they want to point people to the giver, the ultimate giver, the creator of this world, then it's going to be empty in the end. They're never, it's not going to provide satisfaction for them because they're doing it just for themselves. Basically, the focus is either on themselves or others. It's not on the God, Lord God creator. And there is no thought or motivation toward the giver of life, the Lord of all. So the, the heart at the habit of the giving, the spiritual discipline, is solely, again, to point us to the giver, Jesus. And remembering, it's not working again. Yeah, there we go. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, do we believe that? Do we really believe that it's more blessed to give than receive? I mean, I like receiving, right? Anybody else here not like receiving? Yeah, we all like receiving, but do we really believe these words here that it's more blessed to give than to receive? Well, today's text reveals the heart of God as a generous and giving God. And this was written in 1,400 years, roughly, before Jesus came on the scene in the flesh when he was born. Uh, God's heart, we see here in the Old Testament, is just as loving and compassionate as in the New Testament through Christ Jesus. And listen again to verses 7 and 8 in the heart of God here. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Now, these are instructions given through Moses to the Israelites as they were about to enter the land of Canaan, the promised land. And notice here, specifically, it says, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them, meaning these poor Israelites in their midst. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend. Do you see the heart of God here in these words, these instructions? Be generous rather than hard-hearted and tight-fisted or stingy, we could say. Be generous. Help those who need help. And then later in our text, God instructed the Israelites not to be calculating in the sense of in their giving. And in a sense, calculating what it may cost them, what they may lose if they do this giving um, in verses 9 and 10. It says, be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year of canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them, 
and do so without a grudging heart. Now, God had instructed the Israelites right earlier in this chapter 15 of Deuteronomy that every seven years, all debts of their fellow Israelites would be canceled. Pretty good, huh? I just heard on the news this week that the amount of debt that the America holds on their credit cards is close to a trillion dollars. And that's a lot of money. So that's a debt that, that Americans have. That they, you know, they're not paying it off every month. They're holding that there month to month. But that would be helpful for Americans, right? If every seven years you just, okay, we're just start over. Everything's blank. You know, clear it out your credit cards. But what they're saying, what God is saying here is don't be calculating with how you give. So what was there, if you think about it, every seven years the debts would be canceled among the Israelites. So if one of you came to me and said, hey, Pastor Jeff, I'm really in need. Can you loan me some money? Or I just need help, right? Then, and, I, and I'm about to give you money, but then I think, oh, wait, next year is the debt-canceling year. And you're probably not going to be able to pay back the money before then. Maybe I'll just ignore your email or text and pretend like I didn't hear the request or something. You know, or I won't give you as much. You know, you know, in a sense, I'm starting to calculate. I'm going to probably lose some of this or all of this. And this is what God's talking about here. Do not calculate what you may lose when you give. Be generous. Give freely. Not with cold calculation, but with the attitude of generosity. You know, this came to mind, I never forgot this, uh, how my heart was touched by a, an act of generous giving to me when I was a first year in college. So I had just graduated college, I mean high school, and then I was in my first year of college. And then as we were coming to the end of that year, um, you know, I had been one year out of the youth group in our church. But I still knew a lot of kids in the youth group, of course, because I was, used to be in there. And while this high school senior girl, she invited me to go to the prom with her for that year. So I was like, sure, yeah, I'll go. And uh, so it, I guess word got around the church that she and I were both same church, going to go to the prom. And this guy came to me and told me that he would like to offer his car for us to use for the night of the prom. It was this really nice Mercedes Benz. And so I was like, really? You know? <laughs> and he said, yeah, yeah, I want you guys to have fun. You can take the car and, and just bring it back when you're done. And it was super nice. And I was like, you know, I was afraid my parents wouldn't let me do it. But, you know, I'm over 18. I can do my own thing, right? Yeah, so, so my parents graciously said, yeah, that's, that's such a generous offer. And we did. We had a lot of fun. But think about it. If this guy was calculating, he's going to give this really nice, expensive car to two teenagers on a prom night. Who knows what's going to happen, you know? And, yeah, if he was calculating, he probably wouldn't have done it. But he did, and it, it just it moved me. I remember that. He was not calculating. He was very generous. The Lord God, again, emphasizes this habit of giving and being generous at the end of our text in verse 14. He says here, in that context, supply them liberally with, from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. And give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. And here we see the heart of God. He says, I am blessing you, and you are then to bless others with my blessing. That's the whole idea of giving generously. And now remember the habit of the ultimate giver, Jesus, 
right? What did he give? Well, he gave up heaven to come to earth to live among us as a person in, in the flesh. And then he gave of himself his whole life. He was giving and giving and giving the healing, the sick, and the demon-possessed, and the food, and the hope, and the salvation, and the forgiveness, and the mercy of God. And then he willingly, ultimately gave up his life as a ransom for us all. You see, the habit of giving... Oh, there we go. Yeah. The habit of giving is an act of trust in the Lord's provision. Because we're not holding on to it. We're just saying, oh, God's provided, and I'm just going to give it away freely. And then at the same time, it demonstrates God's love because it's an act of generosity. As you and I know the love of God and the Holy Spirit works in us, then we're going to be able to trust in and show the love of God to others by our giving. This is just the way it works. Look at what 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7 say. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So do we have the habit of giving? The Lord God gave us his life, and he wants us to do the same to others for him and his glory, not for our own glory, but for his glory. And a common habit we all know, and if we've grown up in church, is this idea of the tithe, right? It's biblically from the Old Testament, it says you just give 10% or one-tenth of what you have back to the Lord in the sense that it's all his anyway. So you're designating one-tenth and you're saying this is for God's work. In a sense, I'm setting it apart. So it's in a sense holy because that's what holy means, set apart for divine purposes. And I'm going to do that. So financially, that would mean you'd think of your income. So it doesn't matter what age we are, whatever income we receive, if we're for working, our job income, any gifts we receive, bonuses, red envelopes, whatever it is, right? We just look at that and say, oh, that God has provided that for me. I designate one-tenth for whatever, to the church, to other missions or whatever it is, ministries, I give it away. But now that's just finances. Think of everything. You think of yourself, your skills, your talents. How are you giving that? in service of the Lord. How about your time? Just take it 52 weeks a year, 10% of that. That's five weeks. How are we given five weeks of our life every year for the service of the Lord? And if you take a week, right? Well, God actually already designated more than 10% of the week, right? One out of seven days were to designate for him. So that's... 24 out of 168 hours. What percentage is that? I don't know. I didn't figure it out. Come on. Anyway, it's not important. So it's one, one seventh, we could say, of your week. So overall, let's just look at like what the scriptures teach us about this habit of giving and some characteristics that then will become more and more evident in our life when we do the habit of giving. And we've already seen the first one. And that is that it's generous. We will be generous, more and more generous with our time, with our skills, with our relationships, with our finances, whatever it is. We will be more generous. And Jesus in Matthew 10, 8 said to his 12 disciples before sending them out, he said this, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. There it is. 
that generosity. Freely you have received, freely give. He gave the authority to his disciples, and he just said, go and do it. And the same applies to us. Everything we have has been given to us by the Lord, and he wants us freely to just give it away. When we see opportunity and need, you know, just do it. Give it freely. He's given us everything, so freely we have received, freely give. You know, it's interesting, J.L. Kraft, the head of the Kraft Cheese Corporation, uh, had given approximately 25% of his enormous income to Christian ministries over the years. And this is him, I quote. He said, The only investment I ever made which has paid consistently increasing dividends is the money I have given to the Lord. See, no matter what our age is or if we have a job or we're unemployed, whatever the situation is, we are to just give freely because anything we have is from the Lord. So if you get money from your parents, give 10% of it to the Lord. Uh, If you have a job and earn an income, then that job and income is from the Lord. You give 10%. Just designate 10%, right, to the Lord. You know, many years ago, J.D. Rockefeller He also said something interesting about this. He said, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars if I I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50. This was a while ago. But he started this practice with very little. And then he was able to continue it, this habit of giving. There's a story about this lady, uh, Sadie Seeker. She had served for many years as a teacher for missionary children in uh, the Philippines, and she loved reading books. I mean, it was just, she loved books. So much so that she rarely loaned out her books to other people. She did some books that she didn't think were that great, but the ones that she liked to read over and over again, she kept for herself in her footlocker that was under her bed. But one night, when the quiet of the night, she was listening or trying to go to sleep, and she heard this like crunching gnawing sound. She looked all over her room, turned on the light, she couldn't figure, and then she found out it was from her footlocker that was under her bed, and sure enough, termites had infested her books, and they just turned to this pile of dust. And, and the point was, if she had given these books and loaned them away, she would have saved them, but she kept them for herself, and then they were gone. They were lost. We, we don't when we hoard things for ourselves, this is not what God calls us to do. He says, freely you've received, freely give it away. Another characteristic of the habit of giving is not only generous, but also we see in secret. And this is tied to last week. We saw that fasting, we do it in secret. Well, this is from that same chapter Jesus said in Matthew 6, the following. He said, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them, If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. To be honored by men, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so so that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's this story, interesting story, of a 19th century preacher, Charles Spurgeon. And he and his wife, would, uh, they had chickens, and so they, they had a lot of eggs that the chickens produced. So naturally, you know, if you know people who have chickens, you always ask, hey, or they ask you, Do you can you want some eggs? I've got too many, whatever. Well, the Spurgeons would not give any of their eggs away. 
they would always sell them. Even to close family members would ask, hey, can we have some eggs? They said, no, you got to buy them from us. You know, there's a famous preacher, and they were like, man, the Spurgeons are so greedy. They're just, all they do is sell their eggs. So they got these criticisms from people over the years about this odd thing about them. They never sold their eggs to anybody. I mean, they never gave them away. They always would have to pay. If you want the eggs, you got to pay for the eggs. We don't give them away. So they received all this criticism over the years until Mrs. Spurgeon died, and then the full story came out that the money that they made from selling their eggs was to support two old widows. All of that went to support these widows. And they were keeping this secret. See, they didn't let the left hand know what the right hand was doing. And that's why they wouldn't give them away, because they needed that money. <laughs> they learned it for the help these two older ladies that they were doing. They endured these attacks over the years in silence. Practicing this habit of giving is evidence in our life through generosity, through doing it in secret, not to say, hey, look at us, we're doing such a good job as a Christian, you know. But it also, we see in the scriptures that it's voluntarily. Um, Jesus said in the second half of Matthew 10, 39, he says, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And this is, goes back to the Sadie Seeker story where when we give our life to Christ, which he asks and demands of us, you must come follow me, then when we're giving our life away to him, we actually keep it. We save it because of the life he gives us. What we give away freely, we're actually, we're not losing. We're gaining. Why? It's because Jesus knew this. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus knew this truth because he was practicing it as a model to us. And the same applies to everything in our lives that God gives us. We are to cheerfully give it, not out of obligation or expectation or because the pastor's up there telling you got to do it. No, it's because God wants us to give it freely, joyfully, cheerfully. We are to give it away, not out of obligation. And, and this we see again, just a reminder back in what we read before, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or on the compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love this story of a mother who was trying to teach this to her daughter. And they were going into the church, and so this little girl, her daughter, she gave the daughter a dollar bill and a quarter. And she said, I want you to give what you want in the offering today, and whatever you give, you can keep the other. And so the daughter, they went and service and done. They were walking out. So the mother was curious and said, so which one did you give today in the offering? And the little girl said, oh, I was going to give the dollar. But then the man up in the pulpit said that we should give cheerfully. So I bet I, I gave the quarter because <laughs> I was much more cheerful to give the quarter. But this is exactly, you know, the idea is we, the Lord wants us to give it cheerfully, not just like, oh, I need to do this because I... Yeah, yeah. He doesn't. He wants this, our hearts to be transformed, and until we understand we freely have received, we can freely give. And then, lastly, is to understand that it's not only voluntarily; it's everything. And this is key. It ties in the back to generosity, uh, doing it in secret, being voluntarily giving it up to the Lord. And there's this remarkable story that we've heard before, but I want to just read it again to you from Mark 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. 
calling his, to his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And then in Luke 14.33, Jesus on another occasion said to his disciples, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. So the question we shouldn't be asking us really is how much should I give because it's all God's. It's all his for whatever he needs. He doesn't need us to give. I mean, he's God. He doesn't need your gift. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your time. No, it's for our benefit. It's really for our transformation. He says, just let it go. It's mine anyway. I gave it to you. Just give it away freely. Be a, I've blessed you to be a blessing to others. And in doing that, you will worship me and point others to me. Yeah. And I pray that we all see everything we have as the Lord's to freely give to others and be in the habit of giving it. I know it's hard. It's a, tr- it's a process for us. So it's, it's a growth. And I remember as a kid, I wasn't thinking this way at all. I always thought, what presents am I going to get? You know, what am I going to get for Christmas? For you guys, it's probably red envelopes. How am I going to get in the red envelopes? You know, whatever it is, you know, it's just it's me, 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 me. But as we follow Christ, we begin to experience this transformation. Uh, I'm going to end with this story that I love from a guy named Mike Herman of uh, Glen. Ellen, Illinois, and he told this story. So I'm going to read it in his words, all right? So I'm just quoting him. He said, Mike Herman, I've been going to professional baseball games and trying to get a souvenir baseball as far back as I can remember. Foul ball, a homer, even a batting practice ball, anything would do. And at practice of the St. Louis Cardinals, watching Mark McGuire and his teammates, I got to know a five-year-old boy who was also trying to get a ball. His name was James, and he tried hard to pronounce the players' names as politely as he asked for a ball. Mr. Tim Wynn, can I have a ball, please? Well, before I knew it, my mission began, came to be to get James a ball. And so for about 20 minutes, I told him the names of the players that were near the fence where we stood. And the players turned and smiled at James tried to say, as he tried to say their names, but still no ball. Finally, I told James he could have my ball if I caught one. Now, I had been unsuccessful in catching a ball for almost 28 years, so I felt like this was a safe promise to make. But I wouldn't be telling this story if you didn't know what happened in the next five minutes. Yes, I caught a ball. And yes, I gave it to James. I wonder how often God waits to give us something until we are willing to give it away. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive Do we believe that? And the more we believe that, in the ultimate giver, the more the habit of giving is going to become a natural, or I should say supernatural part of our life. Yes. Let's pray together. Lord God, when we think about your sacrifice, when we think about the extent of your love for us and the world, when we were rebellious, when most people won't even turn to believe and trust in you, for we know the path is narrow, few find it, few trust in you as Lord. But yet you, you went ahead with your plan to make a path and a way 
in Christ Jesus to save us from our sin and what it deserves. Lord, this amazing love, this deep love, that it didn't depend on anything we have done, but all on what you have done for us. Lord, it's amazing. It's hard for us to grasp it, but Lord, the little bit that we can just draws us more to you, our loving God, our Savior, our Redeemer. We pray, Lord, that we would be vessels of this truth and love to each other and to the world. That even when we fail and fall short in front of others and hurt people and say harsh words or treat abuse people or whatever it is, that we would be humble enough and transformed in you to admit our faults, seek reconciliation, and make amends where we can because of you and what you have done for us. And in that, we also can share your gospel with the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.